Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, October 22nd. And as we continue our our series based upon the CPH textbook 120 Bible Stories, we move to the seventh story in the series, God's Covenant with Abram which is found in Genesis 15 and 17. Now, if you look in the 120 Bible Stories textbook on page 22, it's a rather short story in the book. The thing is, there's quite a bit going on here, just not a lot that that the... uh, that, say, a fourth grader would, would, uh, would get or find much interest in, or, or perhaps in some cases should hear at, 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 at that age. But uh, let's read through Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, talk about 16 a little bit, and, and see what all is going on as God renews his covenant with Abram. So, Genesis 15, verse 1 and following. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, as righteousness. All right, so Abram has two promises renewed to him in these verses by God. First, God promises to Abram that uh, that Abram will have offspring like the stars of the sky. And God promises again that his descendants will possess the land. Now, at this point, Abram is about 85 years old. And his wife, Sarah, then is about, or Sarai at this point, is is about 75, 76 years old, somewhere in there. Um, And so Abram points out the the obvious problem with this promise, and that is they have no kids. Abram has no offspring, so how will God keep these promises? And God renews his promise. The third promise then, your very own son shall be your heir. And Abram believes. In fact, this is a verse that gets repeated a few times in the New Testament. Um, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram is God's Man by faith, not by works. God counts Abram as righteous because Abram believes God's promises. And of course, God has given him the faith to believe his promises. The text continues, And he, the Lord, said to Abram, 
I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What happens in these verses is, along with God's promise that Abram will inherit the land, God also seals that promise with a sacrifice, with a covenant sacrifice. And the way this this form of sacrifice or sacrificial covenant works is two individuals who are making the promises, who are establishing this covenant, take at least one animal, they split it in half, and then the two of them walk between the two halves of the animal. And, And kind of the imagery is for both of them, Whoever breaks their promise and doesn't keep the covenant, let it be to them as happened to the animal. Let them, let them be, be cut in half or, 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 or put to death for failing to keep their side of the covenant. So Abram prepares um, the, these animals. Um, he, he's the one who, who um, sacrifices them at God's direction. He, he sets the halves against each other. And then, um, and then as, as the birds of prey come to prey upon the carcasses, Abram drives them away, um, waiting, waiting for God to act. And we read... Uh, In 15 verse 12 and following, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So as... as the covenant is about to be uh, to, about to be sealed. Um, God tells Abram kind of a timeline: before your descendants pass this land, they will be afflicted in a strange land for four hundred years, and that, of course, is uh, is their time of slavery in Egypt uh, to come um, that Moses will eventually deliver them from. As, as, as God's servant. So um, there, there's some interesting stuff in the text here because in, in verse 7, God said to Abram, 
I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess, which sounds an awful lot like his introduction to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, where he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Time and time again, whether it's Ur of the Chaldeans or Egypt or later Babylon, the Lord is faithful to his promises. He keeps bringing his people back out of bondage and delivering a remnant back to, back to, uh, to the land according to his promise. And so here he tells Abram that your descendants will be in bondage for a while, for four generations, or he says 400 years, because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, which means um, God is still patient, even with the people of Canaan, as wicked as they are. But he will keep his promise and bring Abram's descendants back to the promised land, and at which point he will use them to exercise judgment upon the Amorites and the, the other people of Canaan who are still there. All right, so here we have Abraham keeping the birds off of the split dead animals, the sacrificial animals. God has kind of clarified his promise a little bit. And then we read in chapter 15, verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So the land that God promises to Abraham and his descendants, it stretches from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River. It's a massive amount of land, and, and Israel only occupy a small part of it at the heights of the kingdoms of David and Solomon. Um, so, so God gives far more than they ever make use of. And, and that long list of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, etc., if you, um, you count up that list, you end up with, uh, with 10 different peoples. And, and 10 is a... Um, is a symbolic number of completion. So whether there's an 11th nation there or not, God is saying that he will give all this land to Abraham's descendants um, because he will drive out all the peoples who are there. Now, the interesting thing in these verses is back in 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So... God passes through between the sacrificial animals, and Abram does not. So God, by passing through, says, if this covenant is broken, I will suffer for it. But Abram doesn't. He is somehow prevented from doing the same thing. So if Abram or his descendants 
don't keep their side of the covenant that God has made with them, ultimately it is not they who will suffer, but God will suffer for their sin. So that's Genesis chapter 15, where God renews his promises of, um, of descendants of the land, and, and that Abram will have a son from his, from his own body. And then we arrive at chapter 16, although the 120 Bible Stories textbook skips completely past 16 and moves right on to 17, but we'll stop here for just a minute or two. This is the story of the conception and birth of Ishmael. So Sarai, Abram's wife, takes God's promise to heart that Abram will have a son. And since she is barren, she gets very pragmatic, I guess, in trying to help God keep his promise. She has a, a maid from Egypt, from the time in Egypt, whose name is Hagar. And Sarai says to, to Abram, hey, God has promised that you will have a son. And since I'm barren, how about you have a son with Hagar? So again, um, we, we could say that Sarai is trying to help God keep his promise. She trusts the promise will take place. But she's trying to get God to keep his promise outside of God's institution of marriage. And, and God really doesn't need uh, Sarai's pragmatic health to get this done. At any rate, um, Abram sleeps with Hagar. And, uh, and Hagar conceives a child. And now that Hagar is pregnant, she kind of looks upon Sarai with contempt and, uh, and Sarai responds by de dealing harshly with Hagar. And so Hagar runs away. And, um, and the angel of the Lord finds Hagar out in the wilderness by a spring of water. We're not sure if the angel of the Lord here is, is, is Jesus before the incarnation or if it's just an angel sent by the Lord. But the angel does speak God's promise to Hagar that, that Hagar will have a son and his name will be Ishmael. He's not the son of the promise and he will be, I love uh, 16 verse 12. Here's a prophecy for, for an expected mother. Your son shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. But then the angel says, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So Ishmael may not be the, the child of God's promise, but he will be a mighty man. And we have a promise later on that he will be the, the father of 12 princes. So at the end of chapter 16, Ishmael is born. He's named Ishmael. And we find out in, in the last verse of chapter 16, verse 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And then the textbook picks up the story again with chapter 17. 
when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So again, at the start of chapter 17, God renews his promises to Abram that he will have a son, that he will be the father of nations, not just a nation, but now nations of multitudes, and that his people will inherit the promised land. Why does God repeat this again when he just made the same promises at the start of chapter 15? Because Abram is now 99 years old. 14 or 15 years have gone by since God last promises. In fact, we know that, what, 14 years have gone by, 15 years have gone by since Ishmael was born. So Abram has been waiting patiently now for 14 years or so since Ishmael was born and longer since God made this promise. Now Abram is 99 years old, still doesn't have a son with Sarai, and God comes back and says... You will have a son, and you'll be the father of a multitude of nations. He renames Abram, Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. So here's Abram, now Abraham, 99 years old. God calls for Abraham to walk before him blameless, and Abraham is still blameless in God's eyes because Abraham is still walking by faith in God's promises. Once again, the, uh, the Bible story textbook skips over the next few verses, but we'll include them in, in this podcast. Um, Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. 
every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Well, I think we can figure out why these verses aren't included in the textbook for uh, for fourth graders and such. But but God here establishes circumcision as a sign of His covenant between Abraham's descendants and Himself. Now, first off, we note that this uh, this sign in the Old Testament is not just for the the um, the descendants of Isaac, the people of Israel, but it is for uh, both both um, the Hebrews and any foreigners who are in the in the household. So effectively this covenant is is for all nations. And it's interesting that that um, baby boys are to be circumcised on the eighth day of their life. First off, the number eight in Scripture is is a sign of of a new creation, and and God says here that that by being circumcised, those boys are then part of an everlasting covenant, and if they're not circumcised, then they are cut off from his people, from Abraham's people, from the people of God, because they've broken the covenant. Which means that an eight-day-old baby boy, if he is not circumcised, has broken the covenant and is cut off from God and from from the people of God. Which doesn't seem fair because eight-day-old baby boys can't do much. And so the keeping of the covenant for these baby boys depends upon their parents making sure that their boys get circumcised. Now, I I spent a little bit of time on this because in, in Colossians chapter 2, Circumcision is ascribed as a foreshadowing, a type of holy baptism. In the Old Testament, little boys are circumcised on the eighth day, and then they are part of the people of God. In holy baptism, babies are baptized on the eighth day or the first day or 80 years or whatever. But by baptism, they are made a part of the people of God. Now, Within Christianity today, there are a lot of church bodies that insist that people should wait to be baptized until they're old enough to know what they're doing, and therefore infant baptism, they would teach, is wrong because the babies don't know what's going on. Here, God says, a nine-day-old uncircumcised baby boy has broken the covenant unless He is circumcised by the faithfulness of his parents, making sure it gets done. And in this, we see actually a beautiful type of infant baptism in that even though the the baby didn't know what was going on when he was circumcised, he still became part of the covenant. 
And even though a baby doesn't know what's going on when he's baptized, he or she is made part of God's people too. So I actually love this text for talking about infant baptism because it shows that God brings people in by his promises that he makes with his people. And he can, he can bring the smallest baby into his kingdom long before the baby knows what's going on. Anyways, back to um, the story as found in, in uh, the Bible story textbook, Genesis 17, verse 15 and following. And God said to Abraham... As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So, God tells Abraham, 99-year-old Abraham, you and Sarai, your 90-year-old barren wife, are going to have a boy. He also renames Sarai, Sarah, Sarai means princess. Sarah also means princess. But he gives her a new name as as the promise is about to be fulfilled. And he declares that they will have a son and Abraham laughs. It's it's just kind of a ridiculous idea because they've never had a kid before. Um, And then Abraham now gets pragmatic like Sarai did before and said, How about Ishmael? We've already got a son. I do anyway. And God says, Nope. Ishmael will be a great man, but my promise will be fulfilled through Isaac, the son of you, and Sarah. Finishing up the chapter, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all of the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised. With him. So Abraham, obedient to God's promise, circumcises all the men of his household. Not just the eight day old boys, but Abraham is 99, Ishmael is 13. The men of the household are various ages. 
just briefly, I think of, of Johann Gerhard, not a particularly humorous dogmatician who said, this gives us a clue about catechesis and baptism because with babies we baptize first and we teach them later and with adults we teach first and baptize after. And this reflects Abraham in Genesis 17 because no doubt he circumcised the infants and taught them about it later, but when it came to the older men, he he taught them about what he was about to do before he actually, actually circumcised them. Which I think is one of the funniest things that Johann Gerhard ever wrote. At any rate, Abraham believes the promise, and Abraham believes or obeys God, and, and, and goes about circumcising his household because God has made his covenant with them. So that's the story of God's covenant with Abraham. And real quick here, then, how does this point to Jesus? Well, first off, um, this story continues telling us the history of, of, of Jesus' ancestry. We've had Abraham as a main character for a while. And, and, and now, um, now Isaac, the next of the patriarchs in the line towards Jesus, is going to be born. God promises Abraham that his descendants will be like the stars of the sky. If you take a look at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, if you take a look at Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, you see that those descendants that are like the stars of the sky are not Abraham's descendants by blood. It's not, it's not um, the Israelites, the Hebrews. Again, it's not those who share Abraham's DNA. It's those who share Abraham's faith. Abraham will have a ton of biological descendants between, uh, between the Israelites and the great nation they become. Um, after Sarah dies, he marries a, wo- a woman named Keturah and has several more children with her who go on to propagate more. Um, But, says St. Paul in Romans, the uh, children of Abraham are those who share the same faith as Abraham. And as Abraham believed in the Messiah who is coming, we believe in the same Messiah now that he has come. And so we are um, Abraham's descendants and so we have the comfort that the, uh, the people of God, believers in Jesus, are numbered as many as the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. God declares to Abraham that he has brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, the promised land. He will say to the Israelites, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And these are um, metaphors and reminders that Jesus brings us out of the captivity of sin, the bondage to sin, and is leading us to the promised land of heaven. Perhaps the most poignant bit of this text pointing to Jesus is when God seals the covenant. Because remember, God walks between the animals and Abram, then Abraham, does not. And so this covenant is kind of a one-sided ceiling where, where, where um, uh, God declares 
if anyone breaks this covenant, Abraham's descendants included, I will be the one who suffers for it. And this points to the crucifixion. God doesn't break his covenant. God always keeps his promises. But when everybody sins against God and breaks their, their, um, their promises to him, breaks his laws, he suffers in their place on the cross to pay for their sins. We could say perhaps that the Lord repeats his, his promise while Abram sleeps deeply. It's kind of, kind of reminiscent of when Adam slept deeply and Eve was created out of his side. Um, so Abram is sleeping in this dreadful and great darkness. God repeats his promise. Um, and then God fulfills his promise of redemption by, by sleeping that dark and deep sleep of death for us on the cross and in the tomb. We see in this text that circumcision is a type of, of holy baptism. You can look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 um, for, for more on that. Um, and and as, a, as the covenant of circumcision was for both Hebrews and foreigners, so baptism is for all nations. And finally, Isaac is going to be born soon. And Isaac is born as a miracle child to a 99-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman who's been barren all of her life. So as far as miracle kids being born, it's tough to top that. Unless, of course, there's a, uh, a little boy who's born of a virgin who's conceived by the Holy Spirit, who's both God and man, and who goes to the cross to be our Savior. So Isaac, in his conception and his birth, he too is a type of Christ. All right, with that, we conclude our brief look at Genesis 15, 16, and 17, God's covenant with Abraham. The Lord bless you as you continue to meditate upon this text. The Lord grant you every good gift if you are teaching it to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.